Thank you so much for listening to this pre-recorded episode of Agent Chat Live. Agent Chat Live is a spinoff of Pub Talk Live. To find out more about both shows, go to pubtalk.live. Thank you so much to my Patreon podcast supporters, Brenda Drake, Jay Lynn, and Reframe. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the second Agent Chat Live in October. Um, Today we have Matt Belford. Matt Belford is an agent at the Tobias Literary Agency. He represents illustrated works, graphic novels, and adult novels in the science fiction fantasy space, in addition to a small group of nonfiction projects. He's a self-proclaimed nerd with a love for video games, TTRPGs, and of course, books. So please welcome to my channel, Matt. Hello. Hello, thank you for having me on. Thank you so much for coming. I'm excited. Um, so just a heads up, my goal here is to like help potential clients get to know you a little bit better. Uh, viewers are welcome to drop questions in the comments, but I did want to kind of start off by saying that I won't really be asking any questions that like a Google search could answer or, um, you know, a lot of things like query advice, word count, genre definitions. And I also won't be asking what I like to call pre-queries, <laughs> which is like when people ask, would you be interested in, you know, this book right. about mermaids in space or whatever? So yeah. Um, hey, Tamara. Hey, Jessica. Glad y'all can make it. <laughs> um, all right. So we're going to um, start off with a little bit of an easy question, ease us all in. Okay. Um, can you talk a little bit about what categories and genres you represent? Sure. So adult science fiction and fantasy is the, the sort of biggest, broadest one. Um, I don't work a lot in YA just because I'm not as familiar with that space. Um, graphic novels, I do work in the YA adult space because those are even more fluid than um, the normal novels are. And then a very select group of nonfiction. Um, that's really like passion projects for me. So I don't typically like ask for a lot of nonfiction queries. Um, you know, I represent some self-help stuff, uh, a book on sustainability in um, agriculture when it comes to like wheat for vodka or like spirits and growing stuff like that. So my nonfiction is very selective, but adult science fiction and fantasy is, is the bulk of what I work on. Nice. All right. Um, so uh, ahead of time, I post for my Patreon supporters. They can ask questions and send them ahead of time. I guess now is a good time to mention, if you want to support me on Patreon, you can do that patreon.com slash pubtalklive. Um, and Lodestar submitted a couple of questions for you. So the Perfect. first one is, what was the spark that made you realize you weren't a writer? And was that a hard fact to face? And then aside, yeah. he says, glad you found your happy place in agenting, though. <laughs> yeah, I, I am, too. Um, it was less of a, a spark for me and more a series of sort of not great events that happened one after another. Um, and so I went and got my MFA uh, in creative writing. And while I was in that program, I was sort of shoehorned and told that I had to write literary fiction. I wasn't allowed to write any science fiction or fantasy. Um, and when people are telling you that for two years every day, it's it sort of weighs on you a little bit. And I, I bristled it. And I'm not saying MFA programs are bad. I'm saying it wasn't for me. Um, and it wasn't for the genre that I wanted to write. Mm -hmm. And so because of that, um, I started taking a lot of publishing courses while I was there, trying to figure out as much as I could about the industry, because I wanted the program to at least be worthwhile for me. Um, and we had some agents come and talk to us and explain what they did. And it was just a, a sort of perfect culmination of things. I, I wasn't sure if I wanted to drop out of the MFA program and sort of go pursue a law degree. I wasn't sure if I wanted to stick with writing. Um, 
And agenting is a mix of those things plus a lot of others. So it was really um, a perfect fit for me. Awesome. You know, that's how, that's why Divergent was written, right? As Veronica Roth was like frustrated with her MFA restrictions. <laughs> <laughs> so she did on the side for fun. Good for her. I mean, it's, I think that it's harder to find programs that are inclusive and advertise themselves as inclusive. Uh, and I don't mean from like a, um, like a gender or a, or a race standpoint. I mean, like from a writing standpoint, mm-hmm. I submitted a science fiction story to be accepted into my MFA program. And then my first class, I was told, oh no, we're not reading any <laughs> science fiction. Events, we don't do that here. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think word of mouth is probably like the best way to find out about which MFA programs are more open to that. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right. Um, so he also asks, <laughs> what's your ideal race slash class build for TTRPGs? Which system? <laughs> um, so I have only actually played Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition, uh, D&D 5E. I have not gotten into like playing Pathfinder or other TTRPGs. I want to. Um, but I, I, one of the biggest reasons why I love playing it is because I get to do it with friends around the table, right? And that's sort yeah. of not really possible right now. Um, I've also actually been DMing a lot, so I don't have a, a favorite racer class, although I did like toying with the, the artificer class, artificer class, um, and a couple one shots that I've done. So I need to play more. Um, hopefully uh, with, uh, some restrictions being limited, we can, uh, we can start having sessions around the table again. Yeah. Um, I've never played RPGs, but I, like many of my best friends did. In fact, two roommates I had in college did, and we had a whole room that was dedicated <laughs> just on <laughs> D&D. Um, that's, that's awesome. But I was like an engineer, so I was like literally always studying. And so I would just sit in the same room as them <laughs> and study. While <laughs> D&D yeah. adjacent, right? You get to, yeah. you get to still be around. Were well, they, uh, were they remember, the painting the miniatures too? Yeah. <laughs> I remember like flipping through one of the books and I don't, I don't even know what it was. It was like this, it looked like a scorpion made from like Jade. And I was like, I want to be this. And Elmer's like, you, you can't be, that's not a playable character. I'm like, want to bet? Like I'm going to be this guy. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think that one of the things that I love about D and D is how much, uh, it's called homebrew, right? When people make their own systems or like their own additions or or sort of like add-ons to it. Um, and there's a creator, her, I think her Twitter is Sarah Mustang and she created the combat wheelchair to allow disabled people to play a disabled character in D&D 5e. And it has been really cool to watch all the support. I mean, she's gotten a lot of not support and a lot of people being angry for no reason. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause it's allowing more people to play the game. So just, shut up and let people be happy um but it is cool to see the support and to see that you know we all love our fandoms however they come (laughs) and uh and just we should allow everyone to to enjoy and have fun Mm -hmm. um we have a comment dming is very close to writing a novel at least you found a great way to explore your creativity (laughs) that is that is a great point and uh it it definitely is although it's hard when it's sort of choose your own adventure and i can't necessarily like make mm. my players do what I want them to. Yeah. So I have to I have to make lots of options. So it's a choose your own adventure novel. Yeah. And it seems like they always seem to focus on like the thing that you least expected them to focus on. Yeah. Yeah. That has definitely been the case. 
Um, all right. So Tamara had a question for you. Um, what's one book you would recommend everyone should read? Everyone should read. That's a great question. That's tough. Yeah, it's really tough. Uh, I mean, if we're continuing with like the D and D tropes and the the sort of idea of Dungeons and Dragons, Kings of the Wild by Nicholas Eames is a mm-hmm. really really fun read, um, where he sort of takes D and D characters and archetypes and just says, okay, we're going to run with this and and we're going to add in a bunch of '80s band references because why not? Um, so that's that's a good one. But, you know, if you're not big into D&D, you might not love that story. Um, I guess if I have to say one specific novel, I'll go with um, the Broken Earth Trilogy by N.K. Jemisin. Mm-hmm. I'm blanking on what the first novel specifically is called. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, she shows you how to do world building, how to deal with pacing. Um, you know, it is great that that book won Hugo, that she went on to win three in a row, that she is a, a person of color writing her own story. Um, so I think that book and that series does a lot of really fantastic things. Yeah. Yeah, that series is really good. Um, was that first book Kings of the Wild? Is that what you said? Yes. Uh, although the wild wild is spelled with a Y. W-Y-L-D. Oh. All right. Hey, Ebony. Glad you could join us, by the way. <laughs> Um, all right. And so final question from Lodestar is which video games do you like to play? <laughs> uh, good one. I am currently replaying Final Fantasy X, the, the remastered edition, mm-hmm. because uh, I've got some, some nostalgia going for that game. Um, and then, you know, I, I, I am a giant nerd. I do like to play World of Warcraft with some friends of mine um, because, you know, it, again, it's a way that I can connect with my friends in real life without, you know, being in the same room mm-hmm. as them. So those are two good ones. I do like RPGs. Um, you know, I wish that CD Projekt Red wasn't making everyone work 100-hour weeks to finish Cyberpunk 77, but it still looks like a good game. And I'll probably end up getting it. Um, so, you know, things like that. I also really love um, turn-based strategy games, which are kind of like super nerdy. Um, so like Fire Emblem series. Uh, I see someone talking about Chrono Trigger. It's a great game. Um, so, you know, a little bit, a little bit all over the place. Nice. Um, all right. So uh, I'm going to give you a, a little chance to brag about yourself. So please take full advantage of it. I feel like okay. if I ask this question without that preamble, people are too humble. And so <laughs> don't be humble is what I'm saying. Um, okay. If someone is thinking about querying you, your wish list lines up with their work. Um, why why should someone query you? Why would they want to work with you? I think because one, the, the agency that I work for is is a very inclusive one and we stand by that and we do whatever we can to make sure that we are being as inclusive as possible. Um, we've had some some things happen over the past couple months that have sort of made us not look great and we've been, done everything we could, I think, to, to rectify that. Um, but for me personally, you know, I think that because partially because I am a newer agent, I've only been agenting full time since January of this year. Um, I'm hungrier and I'm going to do the work quicker than an older, more established agent with more clients and more things to do might have. Um, you know, if you send me your work on a Friday, I'm going to do my best to have notes back to you the next Friday so that you can get those edits done and we can work on it the next week together um, and really move forward. You know, I'm, I'm going to work quickly. I'm going to want to hop on the phone and talk to you or if you you know don't want feel comfortable talking to me on the phone let's let's go through emails um, i think i'm a really adaptable person 
Um, and some clients I only talk to on the phone and some clients I only email and some are a mix of both. Uh, it really, I really like to say that, you know, I like to work how my clients want me to and, and mm -hmm. how much they need me is how much I'll be there for them. Yeah, I think I've only talked to my agent on the phone once and it was like when she made the offer because I don't like to talk on the phone. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, uh, I have a client who just really feels uncomfortable talking on the phone. She likes to be able to to read and digest an email and then respond to it. It's like, okay, that's perfectly fine. If that's the way that, that suits you for work, then let's do it. Yeah. Um, all right, Catherine asked, Science fiction is a huge genre. What kind of, sorry, my niece, what kind of science fiction do you love to see in your query inbox? Is there a type of science fiction you don't enjoy? Um, hmm, I think, I don't think that there is a type of science fiction I don't enjoy. I do think that space operas are hard for me to really truly love because I think that there's so many sort of nuances that you have to do. Um, in, in like broadening that to include fantasy, I love to see standalone fantasy that you, where you are creating your own world. So it is sort of epic fantasy. Um, but I also want to see one of the things that I truly, truly love to see is when an author takes something that they know and puts it into the story. So mm -hmm. um, there's like a couple books talk about food and they actually go into like how the recipe works in the middle of this story you're reading. And it's like, wow, that, that's, I can almost smell that I want to make that myself mm -hmm. um, or like how Kings of the wild takes dungeons and dragon tropes and combines it with eighties, you know, hair metal bands. That's to me like the pinnacle of where we're at when, when you can take your niche nerd dump and throw it into a book, I'm, I'm hundred percent on board. Mm -hmm. um, you just reminded me, have you seen, have you read Roselle Lem's um, Natalie Tan's book of luck and fortune? I have not. It, no. It's like, um, I would call it fabulism, I guess. Okay. Um, but it's the food, <laughs> the food in it is <laughs> like, I get so hungry reading it. And we, we know each other. Um, she's a pitch horse. She was a pitch horse mentor and, um, and she is now. And just, we talk about food all the time. So I'm just like, Oh, <laughs> I mean, I, you know, we talk about, you know, you want, you, you want to be shown, not told. And when, especially when it's food in fiction, I'm just like, Oh, it's so good. I want it. Yeah. Can you make it for me, please? <laughs> <I know. laughs> um, hey, Mike, glad you could make it. He said Kings of the Wild is great. Great. Another fan. Yeah. Um, all right. So Tamara asked, if you could work with one author already published, who would it be? Ah, uh, this, this one's a, a bit of an easy question for me. So when I was, when I thought I wanted to be a writer in high school, um, I actually wrote like 65 pages of a manuscript in a weekend because that, that was a giant nerd. And then I didn't, I didn't know how publishing worked, right? I was a dumb 16 year old. Mm -hmm. So I actually sent it to a bunch of my like favorite authors who I was reading and I was like, oh, what do you think of this? Um, <laughs> and none of them responded except for one, a woman named Gail Z. Martin who wrote. Oh, um, I know Gail Martin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> she wrote the the Chronicles of the Necromancer series and has written a couple series since then. Um, but I'll never forget, like she sent me a very, very nice email and told me to you know keep going that you know, I was on the right track. And so I would absolutely love to work with her uh, if possible. But if that never happens, I still have all of her books in first edition all over <laughs> my shelves because that she has solidified her place in my heart no matter what. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. 
All right. Um, so I'm going to ask you another question that I asked very deliberately because a lot of times when we hear this question, it's like, if you had a magic wand, what would you change about the industry? But I'm kind of more interested in realistically, you know, if you were, say, the CEO of like Simon & Schuster, like what do you think that you could do that you would change about the industry to kind of help it be a better place for everyone involved? I think... I think there's two things that I would really want to do. One is to to make it to make the barrier of entry not ridiculously high for editors, and that also include that also exists for authors, but specifically for editors. I mean, you know, pre-pandemic, because obviously this is changing how everything works. Um, editorial assistance, which is the, sort of the first step that you get in when you're in the publishing world, it's like your first job, um, first full-time job. You know, they're paid. 32 to 35,000 a year. And when you're living in New York City, because you have to, because you have to be in the office on 6th Ave every day, that's not a livable wage here. Um, mm-hmm. it, you know, unless you have four roommates and you're eating top ramen a couple nights a week, um, that's that's not really great. And I've actually had conversations with um, some higher ups at, at Big Five before. And, you know, it's, they talked about how the the executive team has to make a certain amount of money. It's like, okay, well, if you took, call it a hundred thousand dollars from the executive team, you could give 10 people, $10,000 raises, and it would mean the world to them. That means Mm -hmm. nothing to an executive making millions of dollars a year, right? Like that's a drop in a bucket. Um, And, and sort of, you know, continuing that, the second thing I would change is to pay first time authors enough that it makes them want to keep writing. I understand that publishing is a business and that a, a publisher wants to make money because that's their job, right? A publisher doesn't truly care about its authors. They're a corporation first and they, they care about their bottom line first and then the authors second. Um, if you are profitable to them, they will continue to do what they can to, to make you you know happy. That's not to say like specific editors won't love their authors. Mm-hmm. I'm just talking about like, if we're saying Simon Schuster- As a machine. As a corporation, exactly, yeah. exactly. Um, and so, you know, pay, debut novelists pay first-time authors enough that they don't have to still hustle and work 60 hours a week at the other two jobs they have, right? Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, a a $10,000 advance is, it's a lot of money, right? $10,000 is not a small sum, but that's also going to be paid out over two or three years. And that's hard. You know, that's Mm -hmm. that's really tough. You can't demand that that's the only thing they do if that's all you're going to pay them. Yeah. Yep. We, um, we've been talking about on Pump Talk Live salaries because uh, the last two episodes, it was Macmillan changed their starting mm-hmm. salary to 40000 and then um, Beacon Press changed theirs too. Um, yeah. And, and I'm, I'm, I hope it continues, right? I hope that yeah. it becomes the norm. But even, even 40000 I don't think is enough for as a full-time salary for someone getting out of college when you're expected to have had internships or, or have done other things to get experience to to work in publishing um i think one of the hard things about publishing is because everybody because so many people love books there's so many people willing to take that that shorter salary and Mm -hmm. it changes it changes who works in publishing right it's why there are so many people who look like me as white cis dudes and not people who look like nk jemison who are you know people of color more women in publishing Um, and that's a problem that we need to address yeah. And also, um, and this is something that I've talked about right. with other people because I'm a first generation college student, like the people who come from working class families, they don't have the family support either. 
Yeah. Um, which is important. I know a lot of people have said their family helped them, you know, when they were starting out. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think especially, not necessarily especially, but I think that as agents, we also have to, to show that. And I know that there are like other video series and, and other agents who talk about this, but we as agents also need to recognize the, the gatekeeping positions we're in and the privilege that we have that we are in this position. You know, mm -hmm. there's, it takes a lot to be an agent, especially because most of us are commission only. And because of that, like, because there's not a lot of upfront money involved, it, it changes again, who is it, who are in these positions. And then that changes what books are represented. And it's a horrible cycle. Yeah. All right. Well, <laughs> we got a little dark there. It's fine. Sorry. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's we're, good. we're doing better, right? We're trying to get better. as this Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, all right. So if you sign a client, uh, what can they expect after that? What does your kind of like process look like? Um, what kind of, you talked about your communication style a little bit. So yeah. What does that look like after you sign someone? Sure. So then it's going to be um, quite a bit of back and forth on edits. I, I don't, I won't sign a client until I've read the full manuscript. And I, I think that it is good enough to become a book and that I can potentially help make it better. I've, you know, sometimes uh, a manuscript is perfect and it needs no changes. Um, so uh, it's a lot of phone calls and emails to, to talk through edits. One of the things that I always tell first time or clients that I've just signed is look, read all my edits and then set them aside for a day because you might either be too eager to agree with me because I'm, I'm an agent and because I'm giving you something that you want, or you might absolutely hate what I'm telling you. Either way, if you can, if you can create some distance and try and think about it a little clearer, not your first reaction, it will help you understand what I'm trying to say and maybe understand it in a way that, that will help you interpret it uh, the best way possible. Um, you know, my edits are not do this thing or else I'm not going to work with you anymore. Absolutely mm -hmm. not. It's all of my edits are a conversation, right? It's, I think this should be changed because of this reason. What do you think? Do you agree with me or disagree with me? If you disagree with me, that's fine. But I would like to know why. Um, you know, I'm not the expert on all things. That's, that's not me. Um but I'm going to try and push you because the, the writer has to be the expert. You need to be the authority. Um, so it's, it's some back and forth on edits to get everything right. And then I like to, I tend to overshare information, I think. So I will share my potential submission list with my clients, my potential submission letter before it goes out. I'll talk to them through the process um, and, and just really try and give them as much information as I can. And then one of the, I kind of feel bad about this, but it, it's just sort of what publishing is. Then there's a lot of waiting, right? Like mm -hmm. if I sent a manuscript out on Tuesday, I'm not going to hear back for four to eight to 16 weeks because editors take a long time. Mm -hmm. And so through that, I sometimes go a little radio silent because I have nothing to share. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I do try and do a better job of just like sending check-ins every once in a while saying like, Hey, just letting you know that I have nothing to tell you. <laughs> and then um, from there, you know, once, once the contract is done and signed, uh, my role becomes even less. So it, it's not to say like I disappear, but if, if you're in the middle of edits with your editor, I don't have a role in that conversation. Number mm -hmm. one. And number two, I want my clients to develop a relationship with their editors because that's going to be beneficial for everybody. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, I always tell people every time I've gotten an edit letter, I read it and I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> and then I, I put it away for a couple of days and then I'm like, and I read it again and I'm like, okay, well, I'll, I'll, you know, let me think about so many things that they may be right, you know, and <laughs> you start like tinkering a little bit and then you you realize like, oh yeah, I could do that. And and then by the end of it, I'm like, my editor is a genius. Like, this is a great edit letter. <laughs> like, I, I haven't like, had anyone like fully disagree with me on something yet. So yeah. I, I think that's, that's a good sign so far. <laughs> yeah. It's just because you have that knee jerk reaction to like, Oh, you know, mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's funny though. I did get one piece of advice, um, one in an edit letter. Uh, it's a contemporary, why a contemporary center, a very small town based on the town that I went to high school in, which had 50 people in the entire high school. Right. Wow. And so my main character, one of my main characters is a cheerleader. And the person was like, cheerleaders kind of like, you know, cliche. Can they be on the dance team? I'm like, you have obviously never been to a school with 50 people. In it. Right. There's no, there, there's, there's no nothing else. Yeah. yeah. And that's, you know, those are, I've, I've definitely read scenes like that where I'm like, could this be changed at all? And the author's like, no, you're, yeah. that's not how this works. I'm like, okay, okay, sorry. <laughs> yeah. One of my critique partners is Canadian and she's like, what's gerrymandering? And I was like, oh my God. <laughs> Oh God! I wish I didn't know a gerrymandering. I, <laughs> I know. Yeah. Um, all right. So it's time for a quick round. So if you could answer these questions in, let's say, fifteen seconds or fewer. Um, so the first question I do have an introduction to, though. So when I was coming up with this this show, I was trying to like decide what to call it, and I talked to some of my Patreon supporters about what to call it, and Lodestar had suggested snack time with an agent. Okay. which I really liked like kind of the casualness of it. Cause that's what I wanted to convey. But I was also concerned that it would um, imply it was only for kid lit people. <laughs> so that's where this, this question came from. So that's the remaining, you know, what, what's left of that suggestion. Um, all right. So first question is what is your favorite snack? Ooh, my favorite snack. Um, I love chips, like salty chips, like salt and vinegar chips every once in a while. Um, even if it's just like a bag of Lay's potato chips, that's my go-to. Nice. Mine's Cheez-Its. And oh, last, time, last time I asked this question, I had a Cheez-It shirt on. <laughs> <laughs> did you do yeah. that on purpose? I did not. And I realized it and I was like, look, I have a Cheez-It shirt. <laughs> this is how much I love them. Yeah. Um, what is your preferred caffeine source? Ooh, definitely coffee. Uh, mm -hmm. We make a pot of coffee every day and it is gone by 1 or 2 p.m. So definitely coffee. Yeah. Did y'all hear that, Team Tea? <laughs> There's like a group of them that make fun of me because I don't like tea. <laughs> I, You know, I'm not a huge tea fan either. Mm -hmm. I do like some like nighttime teas are good, mm -hmm. I found. Um, but like it just doesn't, just doesn't do anything for me. Yeah, yeah. Um, is there a word that you irrationally hate? Nope. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, like, I think, I think a lot of people like go for like moist or, yeah. or like that oily sound people don't like. There's no, I'm, I'm good. I like words. They're, they're my job. <laughs> Give me more of them. Look, team T is here. <laughs> 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 All right. Um, what person do you most want to read a memoir from that hasn't already written one? Um, that I most want to read a memoir from. Ooh, good question. Um, I have no idea. 
I, I don't read a lot of memoirs, to be perfectly honest. Um, Me neither. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, maybe like Max Steyer. He runs the Partnership for Public Service, which is like focused on presidential transitions and trying to be as bipartisan as possible. He's got an interesting story. Oh, but, wow. I don't, yeah. All right. I cool. Know. And last question. Who's your favorite superhero? Green Lantern. Um, I absolutely, yeah, I absolutely love the idea of a superpower purely based on willpower. I think that's so cool because um, I'm incredibly stubborn. So I think I would suit well as that. Nice. Um, all right. Uh, let's go to some of the, the viewer questions. Catherine asks, okay. what piece of tough love do new writers need to hear, whether it's editing, querying, or submitting? Um, editing... I mean, kill your darlings is like a known thing. So that's fine. I think just in general with the whole thing, like it's going to take a long time. If, if you're querying your book now, you know, it might take you six months to a year to get an agent. And then it's going to take another three to six months to sell that book. And that's if you can get your edits done quickly. And then once the book sells, it takes another two to three years for that to publish. So that's, you know, four or five years. That's a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was, I was a part of a, a different discussion earlier today that talked a lot about, um, rejections. And I think that if, if you're querying and if you're writing, then most people know this already, um, rejections happen and a lot of rejections happen, even, even for us agents, right? Like if I send a book out to 25 editors, my hope is that one of them loves it <laughs> and wants to yeah. buy it. Um, so we get the rejection side of things too. Not to the yeah. extent that writers do. Writers definitely <laughs> have to do it a lot more. But. Yeah, I remember someone coming to one of our writing workshops at the library, and they're like, I sent, you know, six queries out, and they all came back, no, like, should I quit? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> no, like that's, that's talk a good to start. me when you're at, you're in three digits, like, <laughs> yeah. Yep. yeah. Um, all right, so Tamara asks, what's a writing trope you wish would come back? Ooh, one that I wish would come back. Um, I love, you know what? I'm ready for vampires to come back. I'll say it. Uh, you heard it here, folks. I'm ready for vampires to come back. Uh, they've been in the crypt long enough. They can come back out. <laughs> they can see the light of day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, you know, from the shadows. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, I, I really, really want urban fantasy, especially uh, well, and young adult. That's kind of my area. Um, that's, I mean, I just love it so much, and I really want it to come back in a big way. Yeah, I mean, I think yeah. that it. There's just been a weird shift. I mean, like the latest in the um, Jim Butcher Dresden File series just came out, um, which I still need to to pick up. But and there's there's a lot of like series that are slowly ending. Like, mm. so I'm, I am curious what the next advent of, of urban fantasy is going to be. Uh, yeah. It'll come back. Definitely. Um, so that's, this is a good time to mention David Slayton, who's the author of white trash warlock um, is going to be on the show next week. So he's going to be my guest co-host next week. And it's, I've been telling people it's like a um, gay Dresden files. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So, yeah. That's a lot of fun. It's a good book. Um, all right. So uh, what is your single best query letter tip? Um, I, I don't think you actually need to personalize it as much as people think you do. I think it's like that's one of those helpful things that you don't really need. Um, 
just sort of like follow the formula, right? Like give me an intro paragraph that has sort of a hook and then, and then go into what the story is. But I think more and more we care, agents, editors, readers care more about the characters than we do the plot of the story. Um, you know, if you boil any book down to, to its plot, it's going to be kind of basic once you like really get down to it. So show me who those characters are. Give me a reason to, to love them, laugh with them, hate them. Do something in that query letter that makes me absolutely want to read more about that character, about your protagonist. Um, and that's going to get me to read your pages. It's going to make me want to read your pages. And by doing that, make me want to keep reading more of your pages. Um, so I think that that's what people should aim for. Nice. Um, what is your favorite thing about being a literary agent? I love that it is a jack of all trades job. Um, you know, I've, I grew up working in small businesses where, you know, I was always told I was never allowed to say that's not my job. Um, and that's very much what an agent is. I hope that's how I operate as an agent. That's how I hope, you know, you all, if you have them interact with your agents, um, they should be the people who, who want to get the job done for you. Um, we work for you. We don't work for anybody else. That's, that's our job. So if you tell me you need, you know, three copies of a book overnighted to you because you're giving them to, I don't know, Oprah and her two best friends, I'm going to find a way to get you those books, even if I have to drive to three different Barnes and Nobles across state lines. Um, you know, I, I really love that no job is no day is the same and that there's so many facets to this job, whether it's contracts or negotiating with an editor or dealing with edits or all of the above. Um, it's, it's a fun always going, always something to do position. Nice. Mike asks, do you participate in Twitter pitch events? I do. I participate in the Twitch, in the Pitch Wars Twitter pitch event, as well as DV Pit. Um, I try and be a part of those whenever they come up. Um, I think those are the only Twitter pitch events that I'm like really knowledgeable about. Um, and that also like apply to the genres that I represent. I know there was one a couple weeks ago for Kid Lit. Um, mm. But again, like that's not a space that I work in. Uh, but yeah, yeah, definitely participate in Twitter pitch events. Um, you know, I'm constantly trying to do interviews or conferences or, or anything I can to both market myself and hopefully help potential new writers to, mm -hmm. you know, figure something out or, or find the best next steps for them. Yeah. Um, Mike, is SFF Pit still happening? I think Dan runs that, right? Was That was a few months ago, wasn't it? I can't remember. I think it's I been... did participate in SFF Pit. Oh, yeah. I think it was in like August. Sounds right. <laughs> okay. Um, all right. So this uh, we're gonna. This is gonna be our last question, and it wasn't originally like on my rotation, but I, Dan, yeah, twice a year. Oh, you help run okay. it too, Mike. I didn't know if you were you were helping or if you're just you know there because. Awesome. Dan's Thank in. you. <laughs> cool. Um, so yeah. So th this was just a question. Like the last time it got answered, I really enjoyed the answer, so I'm gonna keep asking. I guess. Okay. Um, what is a good literary name for a cat or dog? Ooh, uh, I think mm, for a cat or a dog, I think Balto is a good one for a dog. Mm. <laughs> um, for a cat, oh, um, oh, what is the cat's name from the Nevernight series? It's mm. um, uh, yeah, Mr. Darkly, maybe That's something good. like that. If it's a black cat specifically. Yeah. 
Cool. My dog has a literary name. <laughs> What's your dog's name? <laughs> literary. Um, Jasper. Oh. <laughs> what is it? Jasper. Oh, nice. Okay. Named after Twilight. <laughs> yeah. So, um, also he, he needed a name. And his name was <laughs> Chester in the Mr. Kindly. Mr. Okay. Kindly. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks, Mike. Um, yeah, his name was Chester in the pound and I hate the name Chester. And so <laughs> Jasper sounded similar. He answered to it the first time. So that was it. There you go. <laughs> I feel like Chester's more of a like big orange tabby name for some reason. <laughs> like that's that's the Chester name. There is like a bully in my neighborhood in middle school named Chester. So that's why. I oh, what a jerk. <laughs> the name's dead to you now. You can never yeah. use it again. <laughs> exactly. Um, all right. So that's pretty much it. Thank you, Matt, so much for um, joining me today. Uh, FYI, for anyone watching, this is going to stay up on this link. So you can just, if you want to share it with someone else, you can just share them this link and they'll be able to watch the replay. Also, if you're listening on the podcast replay, thank you for listening. We've been getting a lot of hits there. So um, yeah, so I syndicate all of the shows, the audio only into a podcast so people can listen if they want to do that instead of watch. Well, I hope um, they enjoy while they're, you know, vacuuming or doing chores. They got the podcast going on. Yeah. I listen to podcasts when I cook. So, yeah. There you go. <laughs> um, all right. Thank you all so much for joining us tonight. Um, I'm just going to put up the uh, Patreon supporters. And if you want to hang around, Matt, I'll talk to you right after we end the broadcast. So Perfect. Thank you Bye, for having everyone. me. And thank you, everyone, for coming. Yeah. Stay safe. Uh, wear your mask. And we'll see you next Saturday at 9 p.m. for Pub Talk Live with David R. Slayton as my guest co-host and uh, Lauren Oberweger as my special guest. So bye, everyone.